Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and Dobby's Reward. Today we will be discussing the humor of the chapter, what Dumbledore knows versus what he reveals, and wrapping up the major themes of this book. So before we start on our last episode of this season, um, what item of clothing that you own would you give to a house elf if you were going to free them? That is a good question. I think that I would want to give them something fun. I have a very brightly colored kind of large Hawaiian type shirt that always puts me in a good mood. Um, And I think I would probably give them that because it would symbolize their freedom and also be really cute to see it on a house elf. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think in the same vein, I would want to give them um, maybe like a nice jacket or something like that to keep them warm. Oh, yeah, that's cute. Or, like, maybe a little hat. Yeah, maybe mittens, a little hat. Depending on the season, too. Not something necessarily stylish, but, like, uh, comforting. Yeah, very comforting. So this chapter begins with a huge rejoicing of the Weasleys when they see that Ginny is safe because they walk into McGonagall's office, the whole party, and... The Weasleys are there thinking that Ginny is probably dead and they're going to try to recover her body. And then, ta-da, she's there. Yeah. And so then Harry gets to explain to everybody um, what happened and how they survived. And he goes into a lot of detail about um, the basilisk and everything. But then he gets to the diary and he's like, "Uh uh-oh, like, I don't know how to explain how this happened without, you know, incriminating Ginny. Right. So then Ginny is finally assured that she's not to be blamed and that she was enchanted by Voldemort. Then Dumbledore talks to Harry, Ron, and Lockhart alone, um, realizes that Lockhart uh, had the memory charm backfire on himself, although he seems to think that's pretty funny, and Mm -hmm. that he also seems to know that memory charms are sort of Lockhart's thing. Yeah, it seems like he kind of knew the whole time. Um, So then Dumbledore and Harry are alone eventually, and they discuss his connection to Voldemort in an important segment of the chapter lucius malfoy and dobby then burst in so harry makes a connection between the two of them um and dumbledore says that he uh lucius threatened the other council members to get him dumbledore out of hogwarts um lucius gets really upset um and then harry confronts him about the diary realizing after some prodding from dobby that it was lucius who put the diary into jenny's cauldron Mm mm-hmm Um, then during this time, Dobby is kind of hinting to Harry to give him a piece of clothing, um, in order to free him. Um, and so Harry picks up on this and he eventually, uh, frees Dobby by handing Lucius the diary back, um, with also an old sweaty sock from, that he took off of his foot. So he hands it to him in one go so that, uh, Lucius then thinks the sock is disgusting, throws the sock and Dobby catches it. Um, So then Dobby is free, and everyone's very happy. They have a celebratory end-of-the-year feast. Um, Hermione and all the other victims wake up. Um, Hagrid returns and gives them a huge hug. Uh, It is revealed on the way home on the train that um, the reason why Percy was acting so weird this year is that he has a girlfriend, this Penelope Clearwater that we've seen throughout the book. Um, And then they head back 
through the gate to the muggle world at the end of the book. So there's a few kind of fun and also like very memorable quotes that people talk about a lot in this Mm -hmm. chapter. There's two main ones that I noticed. Um, And the first one comes pretty much immediately when Harry is explaining to the Weasleys and everyone what happened and that Ginny was enchanted by the diary and what the diary is. Mr. Weasley kind of scolds Ginny, even though, you know, he's not really mad at her, but he says never trust anything that can think for itself if you can't see where it keeps its brain. And he's saying, haven't I always told you this? Um, So what do we think about this quote? Because this is often repeated and it's kind of a funny quote, but I think it kind of has a lot of relevance in the series and also just in life a little bit. It's kind of funny because it seems very specific. It does seem very specific. Where where else would this really have come When did you bring it up? But I mean, let's think about why he would have brought that up with her because he is dealing with, you know, enchanted muggle artifacts. artifacts. Yeah. And he knows that things that look innocuous can not be. And if you start to see that they might have magical or other properties that they're not supposed to have, then um, you should be concerned because it could be like dark artifacts, for example, like the ones that he was getting from Lucius, which this turned out to be as well. Right, right. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it makes a lot of sense for him to say something like that uh, in his capacity as a dad because he does have all this experience with those things. Um, I know that it comes up a lot where Ron will talk about these um, items that he's encountered like, or that his dad has encountered and or told him stories about, which is why like they keep like wanting to be very wary of like certain things and like don't touch that like unless you know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um kind of stuff. So I guess that would make sense for her to know it. But it is kind of ironic because this book we also are introduced to the flying car. Right. And of course, like he enchanted it, but it doesn't develop this like sort of sentience that it eventually does develop until it gets near Hogwarts and then Hogwarts makes the electronics in the car like go haywire. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then somehow this like magical enchantment that was placed on it awakens it and now it has a brain. Yeah, right? so we've seen a couple things just within this book that are go along with this quote Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but of course you can trust the car even though you can't see where it keeps its brain well you can trust the car but at the same time like we don't really know like so far the car has helped them out yeah but i i would say probably you can't i think this is probably a good rule to live by that's true i mean i think it is a good rule um you know there's definitely something to be said for wanting to understand uh what something is fully before you really like trust it right right? especially when we're talking about magic where it's very mysterious and could be very dangerous as well so getting into the the meat of the chapter which i think is that conversation just between harry and dumbledore um this is we see dumbledore learning a lot of things or realizing a lot of things in this moment Mm -hmm. um a lot of them having to do with horcruxes and Harry being involved. So let's clarify, I guess, in your opinion, what do you think that Dumbledore knows about um, about the Horcruxes? But I guess maybe first also we can discuss Lockhart. Like, do we think that he knew that Lockhart was a fraud the whole time as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's clear from his reaction to Lockhart mm-hmm. becoming obliviated that he thinks this is very ironic. You know, he mm-hmm. says, impaled upon your own sword, Gilderoy. So it's like he knows this is Lockhart's weapon, his memory charms. But why would he hire him then? Because there was nobody else. He always says that. Like, yeah. There's no one else. He, he He's scraping the bottom of the barrel. Hagrid talked about that a couple chapters ago, yeah. too. 
Um, it's just like... Maybe he didn't realize how like dangerous he could get, I Yeah, guess. I think he didn't realize that his incompetence was actually stretching into the territory of dangerousness, mm-hmm. too. Um, but yeah, in terms of his, his uh, realization about uh, Horcruxes and, and Voldemort, for example... Um, I think this is actually a really important moment for Dumbledore. We sort of see him have a revelation here um, when Harry hands him the diary and tells him like what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dumbledore has this realization and he realizes this was a piece of Voldemort's soul that mm-hmm. he put into this diary. That's the only way this magic could have worked. Um, and what it also tells him, as we've talked about before, but this is where it's clarified for Dumbledore. This was meant as a weapon, so obviously the it's not the only one. It's mm-hmm. not the only way that Voldemort has survived. There are others, right? Um, and possibly several others. So um, this was the beginning of Dumbledore's journey to uncover and destroy, and then task Harry with destroying um, the rest of Voldemort's Horcruxes. And it's at the same time I think he realizes, or it clarifies for him. Um, that Harry is probably also a Horcrux. He must have known that the connection of the scar um, was some sort of power transfer, mm-hmm. right? Um, but until now, it wasn't um, truly understood that what Voldemort was doing, how he was still staying alive all these years, was through Horcruxes. So now that he understands that, I think he understands also um, what Harry is and why. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's interesting because I wonder what he thinks at this point about the kind of accidental nature of Harry being a Horcrux, right? Like, Voldemort doesn't know that. Voldemort right. doesn't, did not intend to have this be. And so, I mean, there's a lot more we'll talk about later, but I think it's interesting for him to put this together at the same time that he's realizing there are Horcruxes. He's also realizing there's Harry, which was somehow a horcrux and maybe happened in some way because that was because he had made so many before that this kind of mm-hmm. interaction between them just kind of automatically made yeah a and it never really becomes clear how that interaction Happen. happens yeah. i mean the way that it's sort of explained in i think it's king's cross or um Maybe it's one of the, like, the prince's tale, one of those chapters, um, is is that, you know, Dumb- Voldemort basically had the spell, like, in his head, and he was, like, getting ready to cast it mm-hmm. or something. Um, maybe there's some ritual that you need to do to, like, prepare your soul for encapsulation or something. Um, and then, like, when he killed himself by accident mm-hmm. on, on Harry, uh, then that soul, like, burst apart. Um, part of it just, like, dies or mm-hmm. whatever. And then the other part of it that was going to be a Horcrux latches onto Harry, who was the only living thing around. Why it latches onto Harry and not some magical object or artifact or something in the house, I really don't know. Maybe that's something to do with souls. Um, But it's really unclear. And I think Rowling doesn't want us to think too deeply about it, because if we think too hard, it won't really make sense. Right. So it's just one of those things where we have to be like, oh, you know, it happened somehow. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it, but it is really fascinating, this conversation that Harry and Dumbledore have. It's a long one, and they talk about really important things. Um, but the, the part about Horcruxes, where they talk about Horcruxes without talking about Horcruxes, because, of course, Dumbledore doesn't want to reveal what these things are yet, or the implications of that, um, 
he talks about how Voldemort put a little bit of himself in Harry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're reading it for the first time, it, it seems very almost um, like like romance archetype kind of right. thing. Like the villain sort of uh, sees himself in the hero. You know, they're foils of each other in a way. Um, and that, wow, like, you know, I, by trying to kill you, I imbued you with this new power. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does seem like magical and it fits within this universe really well. And uh, we don't think twice about it, you know. As yeah, readers. it makes sense from based on what we know already. We don't yeah. need to know about the Horcrux, obviously, at this point. And it makes sense, yeah, exactly, with what everything Riddle was saying last chapter, you mm-hmm. know, seeing similarities between himself and Harry. Um, you know, they both have dark hair, they both are orphaned, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When we return to this passage, having read the whole series, now it takes on this really dark tone. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's Dumbledore getting as close as he ever gets to revealing to Harry in person the nature of this problem that Dumbledore now has. Right. Which is there's this boy who literally has to die in order for Voldemort to be defeated. Right. And uh, Dumbledore probably hasn't really felt the impact of that yet. Um, but he will, and it's why they never talk about this again. And they never, you know, even when they talk about the prophecy, which clearly at that point Dumbledore knows even more than now, Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of a roundabout way of getting the point across to Harry of what needs to happen in a way. Um, But it also doesn't, like you said, it doesn't come close to saying, like, it's not like it's either you or him. It's like it's both of you. Right. And that doesn't even come close to. No, it know. doesn't. It, it's. It's. And Dumbledore is obviously frustrating. We talk about him a lot and he'll continue to be very interesting character. But at this point, we understand why he doesn't say everything he knows, but it is still frustrating knowing the whole series to be like, okay, mm-hmm. you knew even at this point that something like this was going on and continually still kind of like leading Harry blind through all of it. Yeah. I think he is to be commended in some regard for what he does tell him in this chapter though. Um, it's true. Yeah. He does assuage a lot of his sort of worries about himself and the nature of himself. Like we talk about, um, how Harry's been worrying this whole year about, like, whether he should have been put in Slytherin because that, you know, because people have been saying that he's the heir of Slytherin and blah, blah, blah. He can speak Parseltongue. Um, so they have a conversation about that, and, and Harry's like, maybe the sorting hat was right. Like, maybe I do belong in Slytherin. And Dumbledore basically says, look, Harry, um, you know, Salazar Slytherin might have picked you to be in his house. You have a lot of the same qualities that he prized in his students, resourcefulness, ambition, you can even speak parcel tongue like he could. Um, but you chose to be in Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. You asked the hat to put you in Gryffindor, which means that you belong in Gryffindor. And then he gives him one final piece of evidence. And he says, look at the hilt of the sword that Harry pulled out of the hat. And it says, Godric Gryffindor. And Dumbledore says, only a true Gryffindor could have pulled that out of the hat, Harry. Right. Which is another one of my favorite quotes from this mm-hmm. chapter. Um, and it's, it's um, an amazing moment because it clarifies for Harry that what is important ultimately is not who he is, but what he does. Right. And, and that's what the hat decided was important too. Mm-hmm. Again, this was Godric Gryffindor's hat and it will summon the sword for anyone who it deems worthy of 
wielding it essentially right uh and it clearly just decided that he was worthy in that even moment. after they just had again that kind of conversation about how similar about he how was to Voldemort he could have been in Slytherin yeah and you know the hat is like the hat is confirming um yeah. what everyone's confirming as well and so he has that the other kind of very famous quote from this chapter which is that that it is our choices that matter far more than our abilities which is what Dumbledore says to Harry um, and that is what we were just talking about and is a giant theme, I think, in the whole series um, for Harry and really for everyone um, because we can see when people make good choices, bad choices, safe, unsafe. We can see how pretty much every character, whether we deem them good or evil, um, ultimately can make choices that don't necessarily align with what we think of as their, you know, inherent personality. Right. You can have all the good intentions in the world, but if what you do is wrong, it doesn't matter, you know. I think there's an interesting quote that sort of goes along with that, which is um, not really related to Harry Potter, but I think it has some relevance here, which is that um, we judge other people based on their actions and ourselves, on our intentions. And it's good to be reminded that what actually matters is not your intentions, it's your choices. Right. It's what you do. Um, and abilities don't matter. Potential doesn't matter if you don't use it. Uh, you know, talent doesn't matter if you don't use it. All that matters is what you do. Yeah, and I think kind of on the other side of that, you know, I think that people that are inherently, we would say, probably evil, especially just within the series, um, some of them do make some okay choices and would mm-hmm. pretty pretty good choices, but that doesn't mean that we necessarily judge them, you know, as a whole as being a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, everybody can make choices either way. Yeah, I think one of the themes of this series, and we'll get more into this later on, because because the early books I think are very black and white. With their morality, but one of the themes of the later books of the series is that everyone is capable of doing good and doing evil. Right. And there is no like true good or true evil. It's all gray. Um, but but the actions that one takes matters, and the consequences of those things matter. So in this book, Lucius is obviously an evil person um, because, as we learn, you know, he gave Ginny the diary. He mm-hmm. set all this up. As Dumbledore says, he was. You know, Dumbledore doesn't say this outright, but he basically is alleging that Lucius did this in order right. to discredit Arthur Weasley's Muggle Protection Act. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was all a political game to Lucius. Right. Um, and he, you know, uh, bullied the other school governors into sacking Dumbledore, who then relented when they realized that Arthur Weasley's daughter was kidnapped. Um, and so all of this blows up in his face. Right. He's obviously an evil character, but as you were just alluding to, he has redemptive moments in the later books. He does, he is capable of doing good. Um, of course it's not like true good because it's, it's sort of self preservation in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, he's not as simple as just a pure evil guy. And we also can think about, you know, yeah, his choices, even in this book, like the one choice of that one moment to put the diary into Jenny's cauldron, even though he had he had personal motivations to target Arthur Weasley's family, um, we can see how he thought like this is going to totally work out for me. And then that one choice actually probably ended up backfiring. And maybe if he had done it to say someone else, it might not have been 
it might have worked out the way he wanted it to. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. We may never know, but it is uh, it is a good end to that whole storyline. And that also brings us to Dobby, because Dobby comes with Lucius into McGonagall's office, where Dumbledore and Harry are, and he sort of helps Harry draw this connection between Lucius and the diary. Mm-hmm. And then Harry also realizes, oh, Dobby is the Malfoy's house elf. That's how he knew about all of this. That's how he was trying to give me all those clues at great risk to his own safety, blah, blah, blah. Um and so, like, you know, what do we what do we think about Dobby's clues to Harry, you know? I, I mean, I think, like, I don't think I would have gotten it all if I were <laughs> Harry. I guess in this, I mean, maybe I would have gotten that that's why he knew some stuff, because this is the family he's in. Um, but I think that Dobby is very smart and dumb in some ways as well. I mean, he's he's smart, but he's relying a lot on what seems like low chance or luck situations like we've talked about throughout the book. I think that he, he plans things out, but like they could go very wrong. For example, the platform, um, the, uh, rogue bludger. bludger. Um, I mean, all, all these things that he plans out are, could definitely have bad consequences. And even just in this chapter, I'm like, how is he really hinting, like, there's not really a lot of description about how he's hinting to Harry to give him the sock. He just kind of, like, looks at him meaningfully. And then Harry's like, oh, I should take off my piece of clothing. And then I should return the diary to Lucius and give it to him. And then he's going to throw it. And then Dobby's going to get it. I mean, that still also seems like a some chance, like, things could not work out. Sure. I actually disagree with you on that. I don't okay. think I don't think Dobby makes any sort of plea in that regard. I think you that's, don't? I think okay. that's all Harry. Because um, I think Harry is just... He, Dobby helps Harry make the connection between Lucius and the diary. Gotcha. And then okay. when, when Harry is like, oh, okay, like I'm going to accuse Malfoy of having given Ginny the diary, blah, 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 blah. Um, then Harry is like, oh, maybe I could play with this situation to like trick Lucius into setting Dobby free. Oh, I think you're probably right. I think that's... So that's it's true. kind of of his own volition. But um, it, you're right. It is a really cool moment. And actually, I wrote something in, in our notes here that I thought this moment when Lucius does like cast off the sock and Dobby catches it. Mm-hmm. It has parallels to like the Prometheus mythos where like uh, Prometheus tricks um, like Pandora's box open. Like he tricks uh, the gods into giving humans fire, mm-hmm. which basically makes the humans into like, you know, more intelligent beings. Um, it also has parallels to like Loki, you know, these like trickster gods mm-hmm. that save people because like they tricked another god or something else into like giving them freedom or free will or mm-hmm. you know whatever um and and dobby's reward which the chapter is named after yeah. is freedom it's right. free will yeah. it's that it's that idea and and that's what he wanted above all else was freedom and harry is able to get it for him sort of by tricking someone into yeah. giving it to him so it's it is sort of this like mythological type thing and it made me wonder whether like you know, long after Dobby is is dead and, um, like, elves have all become free of humans and whatever, you know, hundreds of years from now, uh, whether this story might be told as, like, a legend, you know? Yeah. The legend of, like, Harry Potter (laughs) and the Great Trickster. (laughs) The smelly sock. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that is a really cool point. And um, I also think that this, I was just thinking about just themes of this book in general, kind of wrapping the this book up and one of the major themes has been you know um 
like kind of xenophobia and like discrimination mm-hmm. and um, the whole idea of targeting Muggleborns. And this is an interesting sort of like nod to that and then also nod to the future of like, hey, like let's think about the people that are, like the non-humans as well that mm-hmm. are these people like like Hermione, you know, gets into later on. But it's sort of like nets it's not just that we're not killing Muggleborns anymore, but there's also <laughs> other people that or other creatures that are being enslaved or treated like lesser than and we need to think about this as well. So I do think that it's it's a nice sort of wrap up yeah. um at the end of this chapter and then also foreshadowing what happens in the future. I wonder if, um, just going back to my like little theory about trickster gods and stuff. I wonder if like in the legend, it'll incentivize elves to like give each other, um, books wrapped in a sock as presents or like whether <laughs> Dobby and Harry will be like deified in some sort of like worshipy way. That would be cute yeah. to like have a holiday where it's like we wrap, wrap things in socks yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So the chapter ends with a brief kind of description of the train ride and everything's all jolly and silly. And then, you know, it's like back to the muggle world and the Dursleys. And after reading this book again and after having read the first book and kind of dissecting the whole experience with the Dursleys, it seems even crazier to me that he's going back to the Dursleys after all of this. Yeah. It's like, why? And I, I know why in theory. Like, I know about the protection of Petunia and all of that, but... It seems even crazier that he, after the second year, after again, like, saving everyone, after going through all of this, and having all these close friends that really are his family at this point, especially the Weasleys, like, um, it just seems, like, pretty insane that he would be just going back to the Dursleys for the summer. Yeah, and what's weird is that because they allude to this similarity between Harry and Voldemort where they like both wanted to say it's cool for the summer Mm -hmm. that that didn't come back at the end of the book where Harry's like hey Dumbledore is it cool if I stay here over the summer then Dumbledore could have been like no but here's why etc um but still like there could have been that cool parallel with that you know what I mean but instead they just sort of leave it and Harry like almost doesn't remember how miserable his life at the Dursleys is gonna be he just like accepts that of course yeah I have to go back there for the summer but he doesn't he doesn't know that he has to. He could stay with the he Weasleys could. or he could, like, ask to stay at Hogwarts over the summer or and something. And you would think that, you know, Mrs. Weasley would, that there would even be a scene or, like, behind the scenes, Mrs. Weasley saying to Dumbledore, like, he saved my daughter's life and I want to take him. Like, can we work this out? Also, my sons had to break him out of his house this summer because his family literally locked him up. There were right. bars on his window. They were starving him. Yeah. Like, can't... Can you do anything, guys? Like, like can you something. like activate the child protective services of Wizarding World people? Like, there aren't any. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's crazy. Like, and, and as we're gonna see, really doesn't go well this summer. No, it never goes great. But this summer in particular goes really poorly. And the last thing that I wanted to talk about um, is that with this chapter, there's just such a lovely humor and like joyfulness of the writing. There's so much like relief contained in these pages for the reader and it's such a good contrast to the absolute like horror of the last chapter and how scary everything Mm -hmm. was and and as we were talking about with connor last last time you know all these horror elements that just make you feel so creeped out this like uncanny feeling that you have even when you're just reading it um and in this one it's just like all relief and comedy and like there's so many things where dumbledore says that reassure you even just the reader and harry 
Um, and there's like so much stuff that's funny. There's all these humorous lines. Um, even the part that like gets kind of scary, you know, when like Lucius gets really upset, mm-hmm. um, and like leaps after Harriet, it ends immediately. Right. Dobby like immediately shuts that down. So there's never any real feeling of fear or threat. Um, it's just all like righteous and justice and, and all these really yeah. positive feelings. And so when the book ends that way, you know, it really makes us feel so satisfied. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of a lot of mystery and fantasy books, when they end, it almost feels like uh, you're missing a little bit of something. Like even though the story has resolved itself, you know, it might not feel like justice has been done, or it might feel like our characters, um, you know, they're they're still in some sort of really dire situation, even though this story is over. Right. Um, but at the end of this story, all the ends are tied up very neatly. You know, there are these long threads that connect over the whole series, but there's nothing waiting for Harry, um, you know, next month. There's no, like, real tragedy that's going to befall him or, like, thing weighing over his head. He's he's good. And I think that this is also why it can be a children's book. I mean, we talk about, even from the first book, how adult and kind of scary in its themes even these first two books are, and they are going to continue to get darker starting next book. But I do think that because of the wrap-up, which I would argue is not as neat of a wrap-up from now on yeah. um, in each of the books and in the series, then I think that this can be like, all right, like children can read this because everything's great at the end and justice is served. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and Dobby's Reward. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, or for that matter, in this entire season, uh, especially any final thoughts about the Chamber of Secrets, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. We will be taking a break for about a month as we move and have fun summer plans, but we will be back um, to start book three, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, In the meantime, you can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes, including the entirety of season one and season two, at www.theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next month on The Harry Podcast. Knox.